0: Uh, I just want you to know that uh, I was getting emotional there because I, I love when I can hear you guys as much, if not more, than whoever's up here. You know, they, they Lydia and Marika and the team, like, they're leading us into the presence of God, um, but we need to go there with them. And I just felt like you went there with them this morning, and your voices were so loud. And I just wanted you to know that it ministered to my soul. Like, I needed it this morning. And this is, this is what the body of Christ does, right? You, you come in here, and, and you're with brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're hearing other hearts and other uh, voices exhorting and, and lifting the Lord up. And, and you can't help but be moved by that. It's just a beautiful, beautiful sound, a beautiful noise, and that's what the body of Christ is about, and so thank you. Um, From the bottom of my heart, I needed that this morning, and so I'm going to try and keep it together. Apparently, I'm emotional today. I don't know what's going on. Missing my wife. She's coming home today, Uh, so we're going to try and keep it together this morning. Um, What I know to be true about every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, is That at the end of your life, when you step into eternity, you want to hear those words from Jesus that are written in Matthew 25, verse 23, where he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. We all long to hear those words from Jesus if you're following him, and we all long to be able to say at the end of our lives what Paul said in in 2 Timothy 4. Right, where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And because of that, the King of Glory has laid up for me this crown of righteousness, and not just me, but all who are faithful. That's the Chad version. It may be different up there. Uh, (laughs) But but this is what we long for as followers of Jesus. At least I hope that's what you long for. And in order for that to be a reality, it takes intention on our part. It it takes discipline. It takes self-control. And it takes faithfulness. You know, faithfulness is defined as being reliable. It is defined as being steadfast and unwavering. And God's Word speaks about faithfulness in four different ways. First, it speaks about it as an attribute of God, that He is faithful, that He is unwavering, that He is steadfast. And then it speaks about it as a positive characteristic that some possess, that some people are faithful. And it also speaks about it as a characteristic that many do not possess, that there are many that are unfaithful. And last, it speaks about it as a gift of the Holy Spirit to followers of Jesus. And so, for the intents and purposes of the message today, I'm going to be talking about it as a characteristic that we possess and a gift of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe, as I've said already in this series a few times, um, What's going to keep coming up in this series as we talk about good works is that tension that happens in faith between what only God can do and what we must do in our faith and when it comes to good works. We are called to be faithful men and women of God. And that means being intentional, and that means being disciplined, and that means being self-controlled and bold enough to make the decisions necessary for us to remain steadfast. And at the very same time, we have the Holy Spirit within us who is our helper, who gives us and grows in us the fruit of faithfulness so that we may be faithful. There's this tension from man and woman to be faithful to God it requires both our free will decisions and the power of the spirit within us that helps us and and where those two intertwine is one of the tensions of our faith and where you think they intertwine will depend on your own theological convictions but what i know to be true is we are commanded to be faithful and we must choose to be faithful and god must hold us fast in the faith For we cannot save ourselves, nor do we have the ability to remain faithful to him in our own strength alone. And so there's this tension of God and man like so many things in our faith. And so what does it mean to be faithful to God? And I would define it this way. A faithful follower of Jesus or a faithful follower of God is a a faithful person is someone who walks consistently with God In humble service to Him. Someone who walks consistently with God in humble service to Him. And so today, as we continue our series, Created for Good Works, we're going to consider the importance of faithfulness in the life of a follower of Christ. And if there's one thing, one point that I want you to take away from today, it's this that faithfulness is a lifelong discipline. The faithfulness is something that must be practiced. That it is something that must be pursued. That a man or woman's faithfulness does not start in the midst of a fiery trial. You cannot be flippant in your faithfulness to God and then enter a trial and expect that you're suddenly going to be faithful and stand strong when that trial comes. A man or a woman's faithfulness is tested in a trial, and they will either suffer loss, as the word says, or they will be refined by that trial, and the outcome will largely depend on the preparation that happened before that trial came and how you lived your life leading up to that trial. Because steadfastness and faithfulness is tested in trials, but it is forged in the mundane of everyday life through consistent practices and postures and intentionality. And so if there's anything that you take from today, I want it to be that. That you need to forge faithfulness in the everyday, in the mundane, so that when trials come, you remain steadfast. And today, we're going to look at the example of Daniel. And I've entitled this message, Faithfulness in Every Season. And we're focusing on Daniel because there are very few examples of men and women in Scripture who are faithful in every season of their life. You know, I've read the book of Daniel several times. um, But this week, as I was preparing this message, um, Daniel just kind of spoke to my heart in a way that it hasn't before because as I was reading through with the intention of talking about faithfulness, it just pops off the page how faithful Daniel was. So you never see him waver at any season in his life. And it is incredibly inspiring. And so this morning, we will look at just two times in Daniel's life that required faithfulness. And there's a lot more you can go through, read the book yourself. You'll see all the times that Daniel's faithful. But we're going to look at two. Um, and, And what I'm hoping is that we will be encouraged by Daniel's life, that we will be stirred up to walk steadfastly before the Lord all of our days the way that Daniel did all of his days. And so let's let's pray together to that end. Father, we thank you that you are here with us this morning. Lord, we thank you that when we gather, your Holy Spirit is with us, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit is within us. And I just pray over every heart and every life here this morning. Father, I pray for those who know you, that they would long to be faithful in their walk with you. And Father, for those that maybe don't know you, that they would come to know that you are a good father, that you love them, that you've made a way for them through Jesus Christ. And when they put their faith in you, you will be faithful to them all the days of their life. And so Lord, encourage us this morning, speak to us and make us more into the image of your son. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, So I I was talking to Mike this week, he didn't know I was going to say this, but I was talking to Mike this week, and he had made a comment as we talked to each other, and he said, he said we have to know the motivation behind our good works, which is an excellent point, because it's the, the heart behind our works that ultimately matters, right? And in relation to that conversation, we were, having, uh, we were talking a little bit about those incredibly terrifying words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. I, I don't like these verses. I wish they weren't in Scripture. <laughs> it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Horrible verses. I don't don't like it. But from these verses, we are forced to conclude there can be what seems like good works in someone's life that everyone would look upon and think, well, they know Jesus, they're clearly saved, and yet the works are counted as unrighteousness in Jesus' mind. He will say to them, I never knew you, and he goes as far as to call them workers of lawlessness. He's literally saying there these are works of sin, these are works of iniquity, they're works of dis obedience. So that's incredibly sobering. And we need to understand it. We need to understand what he's saying there. Like, why can works that appear good not be good? And the key is in the motivation behind the doing of those works. It's about the right heart behind them and to understand the the right heart posture that we need to look at what Jesus declares to those claiming to do good works in his name. He, He says this, he says, I never knew you. So that's important, that is key to our understanding of it, that Jesus would say, I never knew you. So for good, for works to be considered good, Jesus must know you. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's A couple different ways that the word that's in the Greek that's translated no is used in the New Testament. And it it gives us an understanding of what it means. So the the first way that no is translated in the New Testament is meaning having proper knowledge of something. It's the way that we always use it. Having proper knowledge of something, having proper understanding of someone. And so a, a good example of that would be our understanding of Jesus. Right? Proper knowledge of Jesus is that he is the son of God, that He's the savior of the world, sent to save lost sinners like you and me. And he's not just a good teacher. He didn't have just nice things to say. He is God himself sent for us to save us. And so the proper knowledge is important. You cannot be saved without knowing what is true. But we also know that's not enough because scripture says even the demons know that. Even the demons know Jesus is God. That He's the son of God that he's sent to save sinners. And they certainly don't do good works. And so there's more to this knowing Jesus that he's talking about here. And it's revealed in the second use of the word in the New Testament. The second way that this word is used is it is used to describe sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. In Luke 1.34, it's used when the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a son. And Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Literally translated, how will this be for I have not known a man? In Matthew 1.25, when talking about Joseph, it says, And he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Joseph. Jesus. So there's, there's two connotations that we can take from this word know that Jesus uses. It's a twofold thing. First is to know someone for who they truly are. And second is to know them intimately, to know them relationally. Like a man and a woman becoming one is the most intimate of connections that God has created in our world. And so those just keep that in mind. And that's what Jesus is saying about those who Jesus knows are those to whom the truth about him has been revealed, and who have this intimate relationship with him, similar to that of a man and his wife. And it's out of this intimacy that truly good works flow. This is what Jesus alludes to in John 15. He says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's this reality of being in Christ. We are connected to him. He's the vine. We are the branches. And all of this, so works are good works when they produce good fruit. And they only produce good fruit when we abide in Christ, when we are in him. And all of this stems from a reverent love for our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do not love him, we won't abide in him. We won't spend time with him. We won't have a relationship with him. We won't have intimacy with him. It must stem from this reverent love of him. And so let's look at Daniel's life and see the reverent love that Daniel had, the awe that Daniel had for God and how it helped him be faithful in every season. And so the first situation that we're going to look at in Daniel's life is from Daniel chapter 1. So Daniel is a young Jewish man at this point. When Daniel chapter 1 opens, he's a teenager uh, when we're introduced to him in the book. And the book opens with Daniel, along with many others, including his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as? Yeah. Why do we know their Babylonians' names better? Why is that? Right? We don't remember their, their their Hebrew names, but we can remember their Babylonian names so well. It's so funny. But anyways, they're being taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And this happened in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. And the Israelite exiled to Babylon was a punishment for the people's disobedience to God. Now, it's important for us to understand the goal of the Babylonians' To understand Daniel and what the Israelites and him were up against. Okay, so Babylon was the largest kingdom at the time. They were swallowing up other nations to grow their kingdom. And the Babylonian goal of expansion was ultimately assimilation. To assimilate something means to consume it or to absorb it so that it becomes a part of the object that consumes it. So they wanted to conquer these kingdoms and essentially erase their cultures. Erase all other cultures than Babylonian culture and mold men and women to, this, to have this Babylonian identity. And this intention is seen in how the Babylonians brought Daniel and the other youths who were captured into their kingdom. If you look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 4 to 5, it says that they took the youths who were without blemish, who were good in appearance, who were skillful and full of wisdom, with the intention of having them serve in the king's palace. But before they could serve in the king's palace, the Babylonians took them through three years of teaching or indoctrination. They had to learn Babylonian literature, they had to learn Babylonian ideas, they had to learn their language, and they had to eat their food. They wanted these youths to adopt their culture. But Daniel would not be so easily assimilated as many others were. And we see Daniel's strong convictions in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, Or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So we see Daniel's primary concern in his life was remaining clean before his God. He was in exile, but he wanted to remain in a close, intimate relationship with the Lord and please him. And as an exile in a pagan nation, that meant that Daniel had to make some hard choices in order to remain faithful to God. One commentator comments on this and says, These godly men, meaning Daniel and his three friends, now have to decide how they will adjust to living in an environment unsympathetic to their religious convictions. They had to think through the principles involved in their actions and begin as they meant to go on. That's really good. Now, I'm sure if you are a follower of Jesus, you recognize that we are living in an increasingly similar environment described here as an environment unsympathetic to their religious convictions. We are increasingly finding ourselves in an environment that is unsympathetic to our convictions, to our beliefs as followers of Jesus. And it's been happening slowly, moving away from God. But I would say it is moving much faster and has been over the past five years or so. It's been accelerating quicker and quicker away from godly things, away from godly things. Ethics. And so as Christians who find ourselves in an increasingly hostile culture, we need to, like Daniel, think through the principles involved in our actions. And as the commentator says, begin as we want to go on. We need to make conscious decisions to be faithful now. Because it is still relatively easy to do so. And it is only going to get harder and harder to remain faithful to God. So we need to practice it now, beginning as we want to continue. This is what faithfulness requires it requires resolutions. Daniel was resolved that he would not defile himself before his God. You and I need to do the same. We need to be resolved that we will be faithful to Christ no matter what comes. And you cannot do that passively. You have to do it actively. You cannot just sit back and think, well, when the time comes, I will be faithful. No. You need to prepare ahead of time. You know, one of the ways that I would relate this is um, Kate and I are really big proponents of strong boundaries in marriage. I think strong boundaries in every marriage are incredibly important. And it is important to establish those boundaries from the beginning of your marriage. Boundaries are resolutions that you make so that when something arises in your marriage, you already know how you're going to handle it because you've established it in your heart long before it came up. And so one of the things that Kate and I have in our marriage is we have really strong boundaries in relation to the opposite sex. Because we want to be wise. We want to protect ourselves and we want to protect our marriage. We know Satan would love nothing more than to destroy our marriage and destroy this church. And so we want to have strong boundaries. But those things need to be resolved in our heart ahead of time. And they need to be far enough back from the line of sin. You can't just be like, well, sin's here, so here's our boundary. One step, you're gone. They need to be far enough back That you have resolved, this is our line. And if I step over that line, I have not sinned, but my heart feels it, and I'm going to my wife. And I'm telling her. It needs to be active. You need to be resolved the way Daniel was. And the same is true the way it is in marriage. The same is true in our relationship with God. We need to be resolved in our heart as to what is acceptable to him and what is not. It needs to be established before. A great example of this is Jonathan Edwards. And I've, I've talked about this before, and you can go look it up online. It's pretty interesting to see. But Jonathan Edwards actually came up with, I can't even remember how many. I think it was close to 100 resolutions for his life. He sat down and he wrote out resolutions of this is how I am going to live my life. And he would actually go through them daily and just pick a chunk and read through it. And he would just cycle through it every day, year after year, so that those resolutions were in his heart. Because when you, when you intentionally do something like that, it sticks in your mind and it sticks in your conscience and it guides you. So let me, just, let me just read his first resolution. He wrote this. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration. Resolved to do what I, whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this whatever difficulties I meet with, how many, and how great whatsoever. Right, so if you've made that kind of resolution in your heart before God, and you're, you're constantly thinking about that, when, when things come up, you're not going to shirk away from them. You're like, no, no, no. I resolved that I'm going to do what is to the glory of God, what is to the good of me, what is good for the good of mankind in general, regardless of what comes. You've already prepared your heart and your mind beforehand. And so for Daniel, he had resolved that he would not defile himself before God. And he had made up in his mind what that meant. You know, Daniel accepted the education. He accepted the new name that they gave him, the Babylonian name. But he resolved he would not eat the food and the wine. He wouldn't touch it. That was Daniel's line, to remain faithful to God. And I think it's an appropriate line. And here's why I think that. Because to learn the literature... And to learn the language of the Babylonians was not a defilement. And it would ultimately help Daniel understand the culture that he was in. He wasn't trying to remove himself completely from the culture. He understood the culture that he was in. And he needed to know it more. And so he learned the language and he learned their their ways. And I think this is a picture of what we're called to do. I think this is a picture of what Paul says that he did in his life in order to preach the gospel. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So that may mean having to learn another culture, having to learn another language. This is what Daniel is doing. And I think he's doing it for the glory of God, for his own good, and also for the good of all those around him who didn't know God. And you know what? It was perfectly in line with the heart of God. Because there was a prophet at the time named Jeremiah. And while the exiles were in Babylon, he wrote a letter to the exiles from God. And look what he says in that letter. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And so it's the exiles in Babylon. He didn't say, hey, go hide, stay away from culture, do as much as you can to just separate yourself from it. No, he said, seek the welfare of the city. I've called you there. You're going to be there for 70 years. You've got work to do while you're there. Do you recognize as a follower of Jesus that you are exiled right now? That you are in exile? You are not home? This is not our home ultimately, but you've got work to do while you're here. And you cannot do that work if you're hiding from culture, if you're keeping yourself hidden in your home or in Christian circles only. We've got to get out and go be with the culture, understand the culture in order to reach some, the way that Paul did, the way that Daniel did. And so he went through the Babylonian training, but he would not touch the food. Because that would cause him to be unclean before God. And the reason is the food couldn't be guaranteed to be ritually clean. Being in Babylon, there was no clean or unclean animal the way that there was under the Levitical law in, in Israel. So they were eating pigs. They were eating horses. And Israelite could not eat those things under God's law. And so that, under, that explains Daniel's resolve for not eating the food. But there's more to it than that. There's some commentators that have picked up on this other angle to Daniel's resolve. And I think it's so important for us to understand. I think it's brilliant. Near the end of the book of Daniel in chapter 11, Daniel is relaying a prophetic vision where he alludes to some people eating of a king's rich food and choice portions, which is exactly what was offered to Daniel in chapter 1. And in the prophecy, Daniel alludes to the idea that those who ate of the king's food were now indebted to him. That eating of the king's food made them dependent on the king and therefore obligated to serve him because he was directly providing their daily food. Now that's interesting when you think about Daniel didn't have it, but you think about the Lord's Prayer. God, give us this day our daily bread. We are to be reliant on God for our daily needs. And so Daniel wanted to serve God alone. He did not want to be or even appear to be indebted to any man, especially a pagan king. One commentator writes this, the defilement that Daniel feared was a moral defilement arising from the subtle flattery of gifts and favors which entailed hidden implications of loyal support. Daniel wanted to show his support, his loyalty was to God alone. So he refused the food. God would take care of him if he remained faithful to him. He trusted that. Daniel was faithful against the slippery slope of compromise. The slippery slope of indebtedness to a person or an organization or a government that didn't have morally neutral stances, but write out ungodly, evil stances. And isn't this increasingly what we are faced with. You and I in our culture are increasingly going to be faced with the slippery slope of ungodliness in those over us, whether it be government, whether it be organizations, whatever it may be. We have to be faithful. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Live within the law of the land that you live in. But don't be indebted to it. Because more and more in our culture, it's requiring our own mental assent in order to receive things. And we don't want to be indebted to that. An example, just a, a simple example, is one of the things that Google offers uh, for nonprofits is you get access to the full free suite of tools email, all the stuff that Google has to offer. So not so long ago, I was going through, we were switching the church stuff over, going through everything. Get to the very end, and what do they have? As a nonprofit who's going to use this, you need to agree to this. You will hire LGBT people fairly. You will not use what they would consider to be unfair hiring practices, and all of these things. You have to align with all this stuff. Now, I could have easily just been like, whatever, click. But no, we need to be faithful to God in small things. We, We will not align with that. Churches don't align with that. So no, we don't get to take advantage of that. And we're seeing the same thing happening more and more in government and in different organizations. We need to be faithful in small things. We need to be resolved so that we are prepared when big things come. Daniel did not just decide in that moment to be faithful. He had practiced it his whole life. So he knew exactly how he would respond when it came. You will not stand up if you have not been faithful in the past, if you have not resolved in your heart what it means to honor the lord the last situation that i want to look at very quickly we won't really spend a lot of time on it is the most famous thing that daniel's known for daniel in the lion's den can't talk about daniel without the lion's den right but daniel at this point he wasn't a young man anymore he was an older man he'd been faithful his whole life He'd served under King Nebuchadnezzar. He'd served under King Belshazzar. And now he was serving under King Darius. And Daniel had been put in place as one of the high kings, one of the, or one of the high officials. He's one of three high officials in the land. And it says that he was distinguished over all of the others because he had such a good spirit within him. Well, that's the Lord <laughs> honoring Daniel's faithfulness. And the other officials, because of this, were jealous of Daniel. But because he was so faithful, they had nothing that they could bring against him. They they had no complaint because Daniel was just so faithful. And so they knew the only way that they were going to be able to get Daniel is if they passed a law in connection to his God. Because nothing was coming between Daniel and his God. So they had to pass a law that would come in between them. And so we see in Daniel 6, verse 6 to 9, this is what it says. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, "O oh, King Darius, live forever. You know, flattery is a good way to get someone to do something that you want them to do. All the, the I'm not saying do that. That's not like advice from the, the pulpit, Okay. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction so they were directly aiming at daniel here like let's go to the king and convince him to pass something that says you cannot pray to any god any leader or anything except for him for 30 days haha <laughs> daniel we've got you now you're going to be faithful to your god even when it means you're going to be thrown into the lion's den or you're going to shrink back daniel your move I love Daniel's move. Matthew 6.10. Or Matthew. Daniel 6.10. Da- look at this. When Daniel knew. Come on. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Like, I don't even need to say anything to that. You just read God's word. That's, that's faithfulness. That's incredible. Like, Daniel knew. He knew what had been just passed by the king. And he goes back to his house. And what does he do? He closes the windows so no one would see him. No, he doesn't. He keeps the windows open. He says, I'm not going to shrink back. I want to honor my Lord, and I want people people to see me honoring my Lord for his glory. So I'm going to just sit there, and I'm going to pray in front of the window the way that I've been commanded to, the way that I have always done, as he had always done previously. And like, let that be us. Don't you want to have that kind of courage? Don't you want to have that kind of courage when something like that comes up to you, and you're like, nope. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm going to stand in front of the window and proclaim the goodness of my God the way I've always done. Do whatever you want. Throw me into a lion's den. I don't care. He's worth it. He's everything. And we have that kind of faith. We have that kind of faithfulness. And I'm telling you, that kind of faithfulness will not show up in that moment. If you have not been faithful leading up to something like that, you're not going to all of a sudden have the boldness you need to do what Daniel did. You need to be resolved in your heart before that comes so that you are prepared to stand up when it happens. feels like a call to arms this morning. I didn't really expect that, but let's go. Uh, Daniel 6.16. And the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And the king declared to Daniel, he felt bad about this. He didn't want it to happen. He says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. He knew Daniel had such faith in his God. So he says, Daniel, that God that you have always served, that you've been continually faithful to, may he deliver you from this. And God did. And God did. And praise God that he's faithful, but we know that. The story this morning is that Daniel was faithful. You see, I could, I could focus on, on how God blessed Daniel's faithfulness. Like, and you can go and read the book of Daniel. It's everywhere that as Daniel stepped into faithfulness, God was faithful to him and just held him through everything. But I don't want to focus on that this morning because that doesn't change our call to be faithful. Like whether we're faithful in a moment and God doesn't respond the way that we think that he should doesn't mean like, well, oh, I'm done with my faithfulness, Lord. No, God's response doesn't matter. It's our response that matters. We're called to be faithful and there's many examples in scripture. I haven't decided whether we're going to, but maybe we'll look at Jeremiah next week who is incredibly faithful and it sucked. Like it was awful. Like, Jeremiah was expecting something and he was just getting beaten down constantly. But it's not about the response. It's about his faithfulness. This week, here's your growth step for this week. I didn't give you one last week. You had the week off. This week, consider an aspect of your faith where you have been wavering. Consider an aspect of your faith, something you know that the Lord commands of you and you've been wavering in it. It may be something that is clearly written in His Word. It may be something that He is telling you personally in relation to His Word. Confess to God. Confess to a friend or a mentor that you have not been faithful in it. And then resolve yourself. Resolve yourself before God how you will walk in faithfulness in that area going forward. Sit down like Jonathan Edwards and write it out. I have resolved, Lord, that I will do this. Just one area. Maybe some of you want to take that exercise beyond that. Maybe some of you want to take that exercise with a spouse and go, okay, we need to establish what does it look like for us to be faithful. What does it look like for us to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us, whether it be our children, our business, whatever, and we will resolve to do those things no matter what comes. Maybe that's what you need to do this week. I'll be praying for you as we do it. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, I just want to thank you that um, you are utterly worthy we, we can't talk about our faithfulness without first considering how worthy you are. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are altogether worthy of everything we can give you. Father, I pray first for hearts to be filled with love and awe of you. That we would be men and women that, that understand your glory, that understand how good you are that we would desire nothing more than to be connected to that vine, to be those branches that you call us to be. And so, Lord, I pray for those that just need a renewed vision of who you are, that you would show yourself afresh to them this morning, that they could fall in love with you again. And, Father, I pray for those areas in our life where we struggle to be faithful, Help us to be resolved, Lord, to be steadfast before you. And Father, on a grander scale, may we as your people stand in faithfulness even as culture runs further and further away from you. Because it's these moments that we have where we stand up, where we are the salt, where we are the light, where people will look and see that's different. And they may, some may hate it, but some will see it and see you through it. And so, Father, may we be faithful. I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit who helps us that is not in our strength alone. And I pray, Lord, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.